What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for joining us. We want to thank everybody also for their patience. We've actually recorded podcasts that are not college baseball uh, twice in the last two weeks. But uh, the the old podcast computer, she's dead. And uh, it went over for 2, and uh, we're going to go uh, on Michael Bolton on it this uh, today after work and, and get a little office space uh, anger out on that computer that lost a couple of our podcasts. So we do plan on having a, a non-college podcast recorded later this week. If you have questions for us about the young minor league season, the major leagues, the Dodgers, any of that kind of stuff, send those in to us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. But, uh, we, again, we apologize for losing – two podcasts and no one's more upset about that than me and JJ because it's two hours of our lives we'll never get back but hmm. but Aaron's joining us from California and Aaron uh, uh the, the land of four dollar and fifty cent gas uh you know ha- had some good college baseball but I really think uh the most intriguing league in college baseball this year has definitely been the SEC and specifically the Southeastern Conference's Eastern Division because that's where the excellence is we still have three of our top five teams in that division and uh, a lot of news in that division. Uh, let's start off with South Carolina, ranked second. Still doing, trying to find some time to do the research to find out the last time we had a team beat two number one ranked teams in one season, as the Gamecocks have done this year, beating Florida and Vanderbilt. But now the Gamecocks have a new challenge. They go on the road, win a series at Mississippi State, keep on rolling. But now Jackie Manuel, uh, Jackie Manuel, Jackie Bradley <laughs> Jr., that's hilarious. <laughs> Wrong Carolina. But Jackie Bradley Jr. is hurt with a broken hand. Is this the same? Well, not, it's not a broken hand. Is it? It's, necessary, it's, a, it's a wrist we don't. We don't know. We don't know the condition. We're still waiting for an update. I think that'll come today. He's supposed to have an MRI today. But um, Ray Tanner said he's, they expect him to be out for a few weeks was his quote. Right. Um, so we'll find out more hopefully. But, you know, they're they're banged up right now because they're they're also without – Adam Matthews, he's out for the year with that uh, hamstring situation he's got. It's a pretty serious hamstring injury, I guess. Um, and he's a really athletic outfielder that they need um, or could have could have really needed now. Uh, and then, you know, Evan Marzilli would have been maybe a candidate to fill in in center field. And um, and he's out with some kind of a mystery illness that they can't disclose, I guess, because of HIPAA reasons. Um, they, they don't think that's a long-term thing, but, you know, they need him right now if they're going to not be without Jackie Bradley. So... Uh, they they just keep on winning though. It seems like no matter what happens with them on the injury front, I mean they've had some issues on the mound with uh, with Stephen Neff and you know getting hurt and um, you know some other some other guys on the mound that they, they've just been battling right through it. Uh, and then Sunday they just plug in the freshman uh, Deshaun Anderson and and he comes through with three hits. That was a surprise because he, you know he he had no hits on the season coming into that game and then he goes and gets three hits. Yeah. Um, you know, talk. Let's talk a little bit about that that bench because um, it really hasn't been uh, a deep team this year. It seems like it's pretty much been ten guys who've gotten all the playing time. Uh, Aaron, I know in the preseason they talked about Michael Roth was going to maybe be in that DH mix. I know in the Vanderbilt series, Stephen Neff got a big hit, um, but he hasn't done a lot of hitting this year. Um, yeah. What do they do long term if Bradley's out for several weeks, as Ray Tanner's talking about it, and also 
uh, is this the same hand? Do you think this affects his draft status uh, you know, at all? His draft chances? Of, you know, it seemed like he was sliding in the first round anyway. Yeah, it did seem like he was sliding a little bit, and you know, I'll, I'll wait to to make a judgment about how it'll affect his draft status till I have more information because I just don't know right now. Uh, but uh, as far as what they do, um, you know, we did see Stephen Neff back in the outfield on Sunday. He went 0 for 5. Uh, you know, I don't know how much, there's not much of a track record there for him as a hitter besides that one big hit against Vanderbilt. Um, but uh, that's an option. I mean, they did get Jake Williams back. He had been um, out with some off-field issues and. Uh, uh, I think it was a suspension kind of a deal, and he's he's back now, and and he had four hits yesterday, so he's he's a guy who I think is going to be playing every day, uh, and and you know you're going to see a lot of Rob Barry out there also, um, so I mean they they still have some parts they can move around, but one thing that strikes me about South Carolina is, you know we talk so much about their their bullpen and their depth, and and it is a deep bullpen, but really. It's been Matt Price and John Taylor. I mean, That's those it. have been the two guys that they clearly they clearly trust the most and have gone to the most. And um, and on Sunday, those were the two guys who combined for something like six innings of relief. So I mean, it, you know, those two guys have have shouldered a pretty heavy load back there, and they need some other some other guys to maybe step forward and be a little bit more consistent. No, I agree with you completely. Uh, we do talk about the the depth of their bullpen. It's not like Logan Munson and some of these guys, Tyler Webb, you know, Neff, are, are really you know, consistent factors. It's really John Taylor, who's just been unbelievable this year. Yeah. And, and, and then, uh, you know, Price, uh, I think everybody knows because of, uh, you know, what he did in Omaha. And he, he obviously came into the year with some pretty high expectations. Um, so South Carolina wounded, but still dangerous at number two, now tied for first place in the SEC East with Vanderbilt and Florida. Both those teams with incre- impressive weekend series sweeps. I think what's more impressive to me, or interesting to me, Aaron, I guess the teams that lost those series to Vanderbilt and Florida, rather than just talking about continue the, the continued excellence of those two teams, um, Vanderbilt sweeps LSU, Florida sweeps Alabama, and the Gamecocks, I think, uh, the Gamecocks, the, the Crimson Tide, I think we kind of knew with Alabama that their great start to the SEC season was a little bit of an illusion, that yeah. ta- talent-wise, that's just not a big-time, talented SEC roster at Alabama. Um, but LSU, I think we thought the talent was there. So let's talk a little bit about the Tigers. 4-14, Four and 14, correct, Aaron? 4-14. Four and 14, In the uh, conference. In the conference. It's pretty stunning. You know, since, since that Fullerton series, uh, at which point after they, they completed that sweep, they were 15-1. and one. And then they went on. They won the midweek game against Nichols. They were sixteen and one. Um, since that time, <laughs> wow. they're they're eight and 16. sixteen. I mean, that's it's not very good, <laughs> you know. I and mean, they 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 only have one conference series win, I believe, is against Mississippi. Correct. Uh, it's you know they're in trouble. They're in a lot of trouble, and you can see. Paul Maneri looking for answers, trying to push the buttons like he does every year. It seems like in midseason he finds the, the the guy or two who give him a spark. Um, you know, I noticed Spencer Ware hitting in the two-hole, the football player yesterday, um, you know, and, and Saturday also. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's it's just it, – it's one of those things. It's hard to figure out. I mean, I think part of it is um, they have freshmen on the mound, and, and you know, doggone it. Freshmen wear down, and it's the second half of the season now. And I don't know if they're tired, but but Kurt McCune and Kevin Gossman have not been uh, as as consistent these last few weeks here as, as they were maybe early on against the soft part of the schedule. Um, so you know, I'm, I think that was our major reservation about LSU coming into the year was the weekend rotation, and it seems to be a major issue. Uh, ben Alsup also you know hasn't been very good. I mean, he lost yesterday, gave up six runs and two and two thirds. Uh, that's a senior guy who kind of emerged for them down the stretch last year, but hadn't had, again, much of a track record before that. Um, maybe it was a leap of faith to, to think that he could all of a sudden be a, a, a weekend starter in the SEC for a full season. It might have just been, uh, you know, uh, one stretch there where he was really good. But he just hasn't, you know, as, as I heard Paul Maneri say yesterday in the mid-game interview uh, on that, that televised game, he just hasn't been throwing quality strikes. Um, and, you know, they need him to. Yeah, they really need it. And then, you know, again, offensively, and there's no team that's got a a, a bigger lineup presence really than Mikey Matuk. I mean, mm. but the, the the rest of their offense has been, yeah, it seems like it's been okay. But like you said, there's not really necessarily a big spark. Um, but I think you're right. I think it comes down to pitching for LSU. And 
Um, eight and sixteens, eight and sixteen. Uh, you know, they've had early. It seems like they had some bullpen issues, but it seems like Matty Ott and Kevin Barry. That's a good. It's a good one-two punch. It's not John Taylor and Matt Price, but it's it's good. Um, but it really seems like just getting. You know, they they got blown out a little bit early this weekend by Vanderbilt a couple times, and I think obviously Vanderbilt's just better than LSU. LSU's prognosis for the rest of the season, Aaron, still seems like there's reason for yeah. hope, though, if they can get their starting pitching ironed out, correct? Yeah, I agree. I really do. I mean, you look at the schedule, and it seems like they're through the, the roughest part of it now. They've got home series left against Kentucky and Tennessee, which are they, they really should win, and, and they're both sweepable. And I, and I think they probably need to sweep at least one of them. I think they need to go 5-1 in one of those two games, those two series. Uh, and then they're on the road against Alabama and Mississippi State, two SEC West teams that are beatable. I think those are winnable road series. As, as much as you're going to have a winnable road series in the SEC, those are it. Um, you know, and unless you're talking about Kentucky or Tennessee, I suppose. But uh, those are those are those four teams are probably you know those are teams they got to beat, and and I, I think they can do it. I think they can get this thing turned back around. We can see another patented down the stretch pulmonary run, but uh, but right now they're on the wrong side of the bubble. They're on the wrong. That's it. They are on the wrong side of the bubble right now, and uh, and that has implications for everybody because. <laughs> Uh, and, that's, and that's the same thing. I, I think it's the same as true for Alabama at 25 and 18 and really no signature, even though they're one game out of the SEC West. I guess that's really the issue here. It is just, is there a team in the SEC West that, I mean, there are teams from the SEC, SEC West that are going to get into the top to the uh, 64 team field. But right now, picking two or three of them is anybody's guess. It's almost kind of a fool's errand right now. You think it comes down to the schedule, who gets hot? Talent, if you had to pick one team, we have Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Auburn all at 9-9, nine and nine, Alabama at 8-10, and 10, Mississippi State 7-11, LSU 4-14. and 14. I don't think LSU can win the SEC West, not for whatever it's worth. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't worth anything in basketball this year. I mean, I believe Alabama won the SEC West and got left out of the 64-team field in basketball. Wow. In, in baseball, <laughs> is there any of those teams that you think has a shot even to get to Omaha or any of these teams? No. Omaha threats? No, I don't think so. And, and, you know, I said early in the year uh, when LSU and Arkansas were off to good starts against soft non-conference schedules and all the, the people in the chat were, like, get, giving us a hard time because we didn't have those teams ranked high. And I said in the chat, the SEC has three Omaha-caliber teams. They're all in the Eastern Division. I don't see – and I think I even said in the chat, I don't see any team in the West getting to Omaha this year. And then I, I, you know, I backpedaled a little bit when, when LSU swept Cal State Fullerton and I allowed myself to buy in. And said, "Okay, you know, now now you have to you have to put LSU in that group." But ever since then, the wheels fell off. So no, I I, I don't I I'm going back to my my preseason feeling on this. I I don't think there's an Omaha caliber team in the SEC. Uh, all those teams are very flawed. Um, you know, you, any one of those teams you want to talk about, I can tell you what their their, their fatal flaw is. Uh, I do think that you know Auburn and, and Arkansas are in really good shape in, in the RPI. I mean Auburn's 12th, Arkansas is uh, 18th, I believe, 17th. So uh, those teams at, are, are look, yeah. Are, looking at last week, so the official ones last week, they, Arkansas was 11 and Auburn was 14. So whatever, you know, those right. are the official ones. So you know, where they go, I was the official ones are re- released Tuesday. So right, I'm uh, looking you're at going the, the Boyd's the, world, right? Right, right. The Boyd's pseudo RPI. So I mean, both those teams are in fine shape for regionals, and um, you know, I think Ole Miss is. Uh, yeah, Ole Miss is kind of on the bubble at 40. Mississippi State's in actually a little better shape at 27. And then you've got Alabama at 37. So, I mean, you know, I, I still think that uh, probably three or four of those teams are going to make regional. Um, but but uh, I don't think they're, they're really threats in the postseason to me. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, LSU is what? Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of far down in the RPI, are they not? They are uh, 30th. Yeah, that's... They're, so they're still, they're still okay. I just can't, I, you know, like you said, I think obviously their RPI could go up if they keep winning games uh, yeah. down the stretch. And as we said, they have winnable, they have winnable games, winnable series. How about in the SEC East, Aaron? I mean, uh, Georgia this weekend, uh, you know, Georgia would be leading the SEC if they uh, West, if they were in the SEC West. Uh, yeah. they, they won a weekend series, but still only 21 and 20 overall. Do you think Georgia's going to get into regionals? I mean, they're scheduled yeah. down the stretch. You know, they, I guess it's almost fortunate they have a couple of uh, SEC West series coming up here with Arkansas and Auburn, and they're at Kentucky and Vanderbilt. It seems like they should be able to win their way in, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you know, again, they're, the fact that they're they're eleven and seven in the conference and in the deepest conference in college baseball, uh, and that they're uh, 
you know, they're, they're 17th, 18th in the RPI. Um, yeah, they need to finish, you know, I think they need to get to 30 wins. Um, but that's, you know, that means what nine wins down the stretch over the course of four weekends, plus the SEC tournament. I mean, I think that's doable. Like you you said, you have to be above 500. You can't be getting at large bit below 500, no matter what your conference record is. So they need to watch that. (laughs) But otherwise it seems like they're, they're in safe shape. But last week's stock report had 10 SEC teams in. Obviously, you'll have another stock report. Are those moving to Thursday? Is that what I read? I think they might be moving to Wednesday. We need moving to, to Wednesday. hammer that out officially, but it sounds like it's going to be Wednesday from now on. Um, the, 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 your weekly stock report. I'm guessing it's not going to be a 10-team SEC in the weekly mm-hmm. stock report this week. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right now you can't put LSU in the field at four and fourteen. Even if you think they're going to get hot these last four weeks against the softer schedule, they're four and fourteen. I mean, they need to they need to prove it. They need to win their way back in. Yeah, it's winnable, and you always right. It's we're projecting a little bit on all those, which I think you have to do. But just because those are winnable series does not mean they're going to win them. And then when you're four and fourteen, and when you've lost two out of three games for a good month month plus here. Uh, I think it's reasonable to expect them to keep on losing two out of three games. Um, going to the let's switch gears a little bit here, Aaron. In the Pac-10, uh, another league that we think is a deep league that's got a chance to send multiple teams to regional play. Um, the loudest statement this weekend by Arizona State, uh, the Sun Devils, uh, obviously will you know have the uh, the specter of an NCAA suspension kind of hanging over their head, but it looks more likely. Not that anything's changed, but it's, it seems like it's more likely they're going to be suspended from NCAA play next year rather than this year, correct? It, right, assuming they don't win the appeal, which I, I think they have a chance to win it. I do. I mean, who knows? Uh, what do I know about the NCAA's inner workings? But, uh, uh, you know, I think that my, my sense, just from talking to people, getting some indications, I think they have a chance to win the appeal. But even if they, even if they don't win the appeal, I suspect that ruling will be handed down after this election day, which means they will be eligible uh, to play in this year's postseason, which, which is good because this is, you know, they're built to win this year. I mean, they got a lot of juniors in this team. Um, it, it's, a, it's a darn good team, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a great road series at Cal. Uh, I mean, I, I think you and I both agree that Cal is a very talented, dangerous team. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Arizona State is back where it was before it got swept by Oregon State. I agree. I think I think you really have to look at uh, the fact that the, the, to me the biggest question for for Arizona State this year was, you know, how would they pitch? Would they would their yeah. pitching be? Because uh, I think we thought they they'd hit. Um, obviously, the offense, everybody's offense has been a little bit harder to predict. And it seems like you know we, Arizona State was a team that I thought would be a little bit better offensively, even with the bats, because they were more of a line drive approach kind of club. Right. They still seem like they haven't gotten 100% hot offensively, but their, their, their pitching's been better. And tell me a little bit about Kramer Champlin. I know a little bit about Jake Barrett and Brady, and Brady Rogers, but Kramer Champlin seems like he's having a great year and threw a complete game shutout in the second game of that series. Yeah, he's a, he's a quality uh, strike-throwing guy. He's actually a little bit like Kurt McCune in that he pitches off his fastball a lot with a lot of a good angle, and that's that's kind of what makes him tough. Um, you know, and uh, and he's he's had a really nice year. You know, like you said, a shutout on on Saturday or I guess Friday. Um, he's a nice piece for them in between the two big prospects uh, with Brady Rogers and, and then Jake Barrett, who also threw a shutout on Sunday, uh, Saturday, the third game of that series. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a quality little weekend rotation and you still got Mitchell Lampson in the back. You know, it's, it's easy to forget about that guy when you're talking about the best closers in the country, but he's just done it year after year now. Um, you know, maybe he's, he's not a big velocity guy. He, he might pitch 80 to 82 or 85, but, um, he's got that great change up. He's got great command and he's a weapon. He's a rubber armed weapon at the back of the pen. So once again, pitching is, is a strength for Arizona state. Uh, and they like some of their other bullpen guys like Trevor Williams back there is a nice setup piece. And Alex Blackford has been very valuable for them in kind of a long relief role. Uh, he threw four innings in that, that 17 inning game on Thursday, really good curveball. I mean, they've, they've got nice pieces on the mound. I agree with you about their, their offense. I, I really like it. I like its potential and, and I don't think it's, uh, it's really hit its ceiling yet. You know I mean? I, I think that guys like, uh, like Zach McPhee and, 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 uh, um, Devin Marrero and Zach Wilson. But I mean, McPhee and Marrero, especially those were the two second team preseason all Americans coming into the year. And they haven't really played at at a high level, especially McPhee. Uh, and, and, and I think that they still have a hot streak in them, but right now, you know, it's Joey DeMichael who's leading this team and hitting kind of a a relative unknown heading into the year. It is amazing. Um, you know, they, they still have, I mean, Matt Newman's a veteran, a senior, Guys played a lot of big games, played a lot of game, big games as a USA high school guys, played a lot of big games. 
at Arizona State. Seems like he's kind of been like a part-time player there for like 10 years, it feels like. You know? Yeah, it and, does. Uh, it does. But, you know, he, he's, he's provided some power. Zach Williams provided some, Wilson has provided some power. Um, but Arizona State, it still feels like they're going to bust out offensively. And I feel like they, they're a team that has a really good record and has had a really nice season and still isn't even close to its ceiling as a team, which I think Agreed. it's got to be a good feeling for, for Tim Esme and that coaching staff. Yeah, I agree with you. Then we have, uh, you know, so Cal takes a tumble this weekend. Aaron, one of the teams we argued about in this week's rankings is UCLA, which remains in the rankings at 24, really for lack of anyone else to rank. And I think the Bruins are they're a lightning rod program um, in college baseball. Obviously silenced a lot of doubters last year with the you know national runner-up season. Um, and, and they've got a guy in Trevor Bauer who, you know, his SID has to keep on sending out you know, cr- uh, crazy uh, emails to just let you know just how awesome and dominant Trevor Bauer has been this year. Mm. But this team, despite the fact that Trevor Bauer is having as good a year as anybody, uh, what, what what's going on with this team? Do you really think that that uh, they they lose a series to Stanford this weekend? They're ten and five in the in the Pac-10, but the schedule is about to get a lot tougher for them. Well, it just it just started to get tougher. Um, wh- what's your take on the Bruins this year at this point? I, is there more to their offense, or is this UCLA? Are they going to be a team that's going to have to, you know, scrap it out, and that's going to be a team that you know beats the be- beats the lesser teams and loses to the better teams? No, I think I still think they're better than that. And you know, you can call me stubborn. We've covered this ground. I'm, I'm stubborn. Yes, but uh, but I, I do think they're better than that. I mean, I I think that they had been starting to hit. You know, I, you know, I talked to Savage, John Savage, uh, last week after that Saturday win against Arizona, and, and he felt encouraged about their, the way their bats were coming along. It's, you know, I mean, they're, they're not going to be, as we've talked about, they're clearly not going to be world beaters offensively, but they're, they're executing the scheme a little bit better. They're doing a better job adjusting to the bats, hitting more line drives. Uh, and, you know, they, 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 they they didn't get really shut down any game this weekend. I mean, they scored four runs all three of those games. And, and usually with their pitching, if you score four runs, you're going to win. And, and they should have won the Sunday game. They were up 4-1 to one in the ninth inning. Uh, and then their bullpen let them down. And that's maybe the biggest difference that people don't talk about you're between right. last year and this year with UCLA. Last year they had, they had two guys who were just shut it down at the end of the game. Uh, with with Dan Klein and and Eric Goodell, and this year they've got a freshman as as a closer, Nick Vandertag, and he's got really good stuff, but uh, he's not Dan Klein and he's not Eric Goodell. So uh, they only have one left-hander back there with Mitchell Beacom. I think that's a weakness of this bullpen as well. Um, you know, there there's that to me is is a little bit more of a concern even than the offense. Uh, so you know. It, it's they've got amazing pitching and, and we don't even talk that much about Adam Pletko, who's been really good for them on Sundays. Uh, Garrett Cole's been a little bit up and down on Fridays. I mean, as, as amazing his his stuff is, I feel like he's got these these outings where he'll have one bad inning, where he'll you know maybe a walk and an error, and then somebody guesses right on the fastball and times it up and, and three run homer or something like that, and, and all of a sudden he loses. Um, and that's the thing about Cole is I, I feel like the the people who have success against him. They guess on the fastball, start that swing early, and they and they run into it, and they hit it a long way because it's coming in at 95 miles an hour. And here's the um, thing. Here's the thing for me with Garrett Cole, and I've had this debate in the office with JJ Cooper, and we've had it on both of the last two podcasts that have been lost. Um, you know, and you've been asked this in the chat, and Jim Cal's been asked it on Twitter, and and you know, pretty much the question always is like, where do you put Cole? Like, is he? He's the he's probably going to be the number one pick, I think we think right now because of Anthony Rendon's shoulder issues. You know, so you're talking about the presumptive number one pick in the draft, and so you compare him to guys who've been college pitchers who've been the top college pitcher. I, you, know, you compare him to David Price. That's a tougher comp because Price is left-handed. You compare him to Steven Strasburg, Mark Pryor, all these kind, you know, guys like that, and, and he compares very favorably stuff-wise. But Aaron, to me, he does not—he does not deserve or has not earned being compared to Pryor and Strasburg because he hasn't been nearly as dominant in college as either of those guys, especially in his junior season. And I don't even think he deserves – and the guy who doesn't get mentioned in that conversation is Jared Weaver. And I used to argue about Jared Weaver didn't belong in the conversation with those guys. But you put up dominance and then what they've done in pro ball and prospectness, Jared Weaver beats all those guys. Even though yeah. he doesn't have the big-time stuff of Garrett Cole in terms of fastball velocity, Jared Weaver's a stud. He was a stud at Long Beach. He was like less than 100 innings in the minor leagues. He's been great in the major leagues. I feel like he's been underrated historically. Right. I was part of that, you know, 
poo-pooing it when Will Kimmy worked here. Ah, Weaver's no prior. But, like, prior was the actual real deal. So is Strasburg. What makes you believe that Cole will be as good as a pro as Strasburg was before he got hurt and and prior before he got hurt? Because I, I'm frustrated that he doesn't dominate the college level like yeah. he should. It is a little frustrating. I mean, more than a little frustrating. I agree with you. I mean, with the stuff that you see um, – I feel like he should put up those kind of numbers. And, and, and that's why I still believe in him is because of the stuff. I think the stuff is amazing and the body and the, and the makeup. I really, I mean, I really think, you know, as we've talked about, I think he's matured a ton and I think he's a great kid and he's got a great head on his shoulders, but, uh, with these, bats, so, so I still, so I still believe him, but I, by, by agree, I feel like the performance is a little bit of a red flag. And that said, he's still, you know, he's, 278 ERA, you know, he's got 76 strikeouts, 12 walks, and 71 innings. I mean, it's really good numbers. It's just not dominant the way that Strasburg was dominant or the way that Michael Roth is dominant this year, you know? Or how about Trevor Bauer on his own team? I mean, he doesn't hold a candle to Trevor Bauer. Do you think there's any any chance that John Savage would flip those guys in the rotation to try to light a fire in his club a little bit? Or something like that? Is there anything he could do with those guys? I wondered about that in part because, you know, they, they had the Thursday through Saturday series this week. And uh, so, so Bauer pitched on Friday and Cole pitched on Thursday. So you could just leave Bauer on Friday and, and give Cole an extra couple of days rest and put him on Saturday. But, you know, I, I wonder about that. But at the same time, it's, it's been Cole, Bauer, Friday, Saturday for three years. And, uh, you know, you, you maybe could risk uh, uh, messing with your chemistry a little bit, creating some, some uh, unrest. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they do there, but... Uh, I suspect they, they leave Cole ahead of Bauer. But, but I'll tell you what, John, I feel like this weekend, Trevor Bauer surged just a, a little bit ahead of Danny Holson in the race for player of the year. To me, to me, it's right now it's Bauer, Holson, and it's C.J. Crone is, is the three guys at the top of my list. That was my next question. I was just about to ask you the same thing. I got to chase a seal a bit of Holson uh, against NC <laughs> State on TV on, I guess that was Saturday. Right, right. And he looked fine, and kudos to NC State. They had some great at-bats, and it's a nice win for them just to go on the road and win that game. I think NC State's playing its way after beating and uh, sweeping North Carolina. They're playing their way. At, if you're going to lose a series, lose at Virginia. You know, right. um, that, that's a, that, that's a uh, getting a win, and beating Danny Holton is good for them. But Trevor Bauer, you know, Alex Timmer, Timmy, I, I, can't, I, I can't believe it. I'm gonna go back and, Tim Rose. I'm going to have to go back and edit that in the podcast. Alex Tim Rose, the uh, baseball sports formation contact for UCLA, just sent out this email. And there are some things about this Trevor Bauer uh, season that are just mind-boggling. Okay, Garrett Cole is going to be the number one pick in the draft. He has 76 strikeouts and 71 innings. Trevor Bauer, in five games on the road, has three complete games. He has 75 strikeouts and 44 innings. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he has one fewer strikeout. And it's not like Garrett Cole's not a strikeout pitcher. He is. He's not a pitch-to-contact yeah. guy. And he throws harder. And his breaking ball, probably not as good as Bauer's, but... Right. Um, but Trevor Bauer just uh, 135 pitches again this weekend, and he shows absolutely no sign of being worn down by. We've talked about that before, Aaron. Uh, I, I just think Trevor Bauer's having a season for the ages. He's UCLA's career strikeouts leader. This is not some rinky-dink program. Uh, I'll be and, a, and wins leader now as well. He's a career wins leader. Single season strikeout totals already seventh, and he set the record last year. He's going to obliterate that record if they go deep in postseason at all. 145 opponents batting average. I mean, I know that he is more of a guy. He has he relies more on breaking stuff, which is how you get so many swings and misses. But Jesus Christ, this guy's having an unbelievable year. I mean, I, <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around how good he's been this year. And he was my cheese ball last year. So right. uh, I'm just blown away. And I think I think you made the point I was going to lead up to with just. To me, he's the college player of the year right now, but it sounds like he is to you too. So yes, if, if the season ended today, he'd get my vote, and and, and you know, and it's boy CJ Crone though has <laughs> got to be in the discussion. I think he's the top hitter out there right now. I'm I'm really glad you brought him up because we uh, we have a uh, mock draft <laughs> that uh, Jim Callis, Connor Glassy, and I conducted over email last week, and there are a couple of nice surprise picks in there. But when I took CJ Crone, I remember wondering to myself, am I being a little bit of a homer because I I love CJ's dad. Chris Crone, who was a manager in the Hickory Crawdads back in the day when I covered him as one of my favorite minor league managers. So I was wondering if I've had a soft spot for C.J. Crone since I you know, saw him in, the co- in college and be like, oh, hey, you know, Chris Crone's son is in college. But this guy just had an unbelievable year. We haven't talked about him on the podcast because Utah is not a top 25 club. But he really is the hitter who's most likely to be a uh, college player of the year, isn't he? I mean, this guy has yeah. not been impacted at all by the bats. 
No, he hasn't been. And, and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, Golden Spike Spotlight this week. Talked with Bill Kinneberg yesterday. Oh, great. Uh, but uh, the guy's amazing. He's, he's an incredible, incredible hitter. He's still hitting 469 with power. I mean, he's, he's, got, eight, he's got nine homers now, 17 doubles. He's slugging 813, 539 on base. I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's talking about mind-boggling numbers with these bats. If you compare uh, his offensive numbers with, with so many other guys out there, uh, I mean, you know, there's tons of guys having great pitching seasons. There's not a ton of guys having great hitting seasons like this. And this is a guy, he's done it against a good schedule. I mean, they played Cal, they played Arkansas. They played, they played Cal and Arkansas, right. Yeah, and they played Baylor, Kentucky, uh, you know, San Jose State, which has some nice wins. Uh, nice New Mexico, two, at Tulane. Uh, they've played good teams. And uh, he has just been... He's been so consistent all year. It's, it's pretty impressive, Aaron. It's a Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Uh, Aaron, we, we touched a little bit on the ACC uh, with Virginia winning that series against NC State. The big news in that, le- that league was Miami coming to North Carolina, winning two of three. And we, we ranked the Hurricanes last weekend, despite the fact they'd been struggling against top teams. But a, a pivotal doubleheader sweep on Saturday, including an extra inning game. Uh, the game was 5-5 in the ninth. Uh, I guess Miami blew a lead in the bottom of the ninth. North Carolina left a winning run on third base, then Miami with an eight spot in the tenth inning, and then they kind of the momentum really carried them in that second game. Uh, North Carolina a little slippage. Have, have the Tar Heels fallen out of hosting a regional in your mind, Aaron? And ha- has Miami put itself into regional hosting play uh, by winning that big series on the road? Um, I think both teams are on the bubble right now for hosting. I mean, I, I still feel like you give North Carolina an edge um, because, first of all, you know, the RPI, they're number six in the RPI still. Right, um, Miami all the way down at 14. Right, which is which is pretty significant. I mean, North Carolina does still have that series win at Florida State, um, and they just have a gaudy record at 32-10. and 10. I mean, that's still pretty darn good. Um, but uh, to me, I mean, it's when you look at North Carolina um, – They've got two really good weekends, and really it's just one really good weekend. It's at Florida State, and they did sweep Clemson, which is a good weekend, but Clemson is not an elite team right now. Uh, so, you know, the rest of the, the resume is, I mean, it's a little bit light. You know, they, they've, they've had a couple of hiccups now. They lost a series at Wake Forest. They got swept at NC State. Now they've lost at home to Miami. Um, <laughs> is this the same thing with LSU? As soon as I allowed myself to buy into North Carolina as an elite <laughs> team, uh, you know, after they they won that series at Florida State, all of a sudden they, the bottom falls off, and you and you find out maybe there was a little bit of fool's gold there. So um, we didn't think North Carolina was an elite team coming into the year. Um, now I, I I'm going to revert to that preseason opinion. I don't think they're an elite team. Um, they, they they probably will still host a regional. I think Miami has put itself in the discussion as well. I mean, if if you're Miami, you're probably competing with Stetson maybe um, in North Carolina because. I don't know that the ACC is going to get five host spots, and you got to figure that Virginia and Florida State and Georgia Tech are, are pretty good bets. Well, that's my, uh, so, that was my next question. If Florida State loses, they play you know, Miami this weekend. Once upon a time, this was one of the great rivalries in college baseball because they played six times. They played home and road. When Miami joined the ACC, that lessened the, the rivalry for me, um, and I think for them too because you play home and home and – um, and those coaching staffs have uh, – Ardor has cooled, to, to use a, uh, one of right. my favorite lines from uh, Intolerable Cruelty. They used to like each other, not anymore. Um, but those two uh, program- – if Florida State loses that series to Miami, doesn't that put Florida State, even with their gaudy RPI, behind North Carolina and Miami? Because Miami would be surging. Mm. If they're comparable RPIs, if they're right there in the mix – I would think that North Carolina and Miami being in the tougher division of the ACC and having head-to-head wins against Florida State would be ranked ahead of the Seminoles. So it seems like this is just a really crucial series, not just for Miami, but for Florida State. I don't, I don't think they can afford to lose series head-to-head in North Carolina and Miami. What do you think? I think that's a pretty good point. Uh, that said, if they lose a series, I, I don't think all is lost for Florida State as, as a host because, first of all, I mean, you mentioned the RPI. They are 5-5 five and five against the top 25 that includes a three and one record against Florida, which swept Miami. That's a huge point. That's a huge point. I think those so, count more than fifteen percent, Aaron. At yeah. least with the RPI, if three and one against Florida is going to be loud in Florida State's favor, because right. for the right. RPI, that could have been three out of four in a weekend. They don't care. 
Right, exactly. Uh, it counts the same in the RPI, which is why you need to not just rely on the RPI, but that's a whole other discussion, and this podcast is already running long. Um, Aaron, just touch on the Big 12 real quick, because I think we're talking about elite teams and you know just the way that it printed out this week, the first sheet of my top 25 tracker. In my mind, those are the elite teams. UVA, yes. South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida, and then I, I think Oregon State still has to be in there, although I'm – have a little bit of a question of whether Oregon State can keep it up long term without Andrew Susack. Yeah. I have I have my doubts that they will be able to keep that up. I actually have I have the same doubts about South Carolina with, without Jackie Bradley Jr. If they have no Jackie Bradley Jr. and no Evan Marzilli, I just wonder about their ability for the reasons we talked about earlier that their depth on the mound is not as great as we think it is either. Are Texas A&M and Texas elite? Texas A&M seems like they they're starting to convince me. Oklahoma State, as you pointed out, their resume is out, outstanding. They've been a red-hot team, and the Aggies just dominate them, give up only four runs all weekend. Uh, does Texas A&M, they're sixth. Are they in the same discussion of elite teams as those SEC East powers and Virginia for you? Texas A&M and Texas both have elite pitching that I think is right there in the conversation with Vanderbilt, Florida, Virginia, South Carolina. Uh, the difference for me between those teams and 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 you know, between the Aggies and, and Longhorns versus those those elite teams we talked about, is they're not they're still not as good offensively. You know, I mean, you look at Vanderbilt and Florida and South Carolina, and Virginia, they can all score a lot of runs, and um, I, I still don't really think that that the Aggies and, and the Longhorns are, are constructed that way. And, and you know, both those teams scored runs this weekend. Uh, any given weekend, I guess they'll have they, they're better than others. And and I, I think it's nice that Texas A&M's gotten some sp- a spark lately uh, from from. Uh, the two guys at the top of the lineup, Tyler Naquin and Craig Bratson, who are very talented guys who've, who've lived up to their talent. But uh, beyond that, I think the lineup isn't as deep. Um, you know, so to me, that's the separator. I think those teams are just a tick behind that elite group. But I, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll throw Arizona State in this discussion with the elite teams as well. I certainly think Good they idea. should, they should be there too. And, and, I, and I think they're more likely to be in that discussion at the end of the year than Oregon State. And that's no offense to the Beavers. Right. Right. I just think Susac's a huge loss, and you can overcome that short term. But like, like long term, like I, I think, I think Cal honestly has had a little letdown from when they got reinstated. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, they've played good teams as well, but they really have not played as well as they were reinstated. To me, that's short term. In the long term, like we talked about, we both believe in Cal's talent. I believed in Oregon State long term until Susac got hurt. Same thing for me with South Carolina, but th- those are just some real. Those are some big guys to lose. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Andrew Susack are pretty big injuries. And I think Texas A&M, Aaron, the other thing that bears noting is their schedule really lightens up here a little bit. They're at Missouri, but then Dallas Baptist, Nebraska, none of those are regional teams finish the season against Texas. Uh, Could both of those teams be national seeds, or is that last series going to be a battle for being one of the top eight national seeds? I suspect the latter, but you know, if they both keep winning, I think they both could be national seeds. Right now, A and M is a little inside track. They're they're not, not besides just being a game up in the in the, in the standings. They're ninth in the RPI, uh, whereas Texas is uh, is 28th. I don't really understand that. One of the great mysteries of the RPI. There's been a lot of mysteries of the RPI this year, uh, but uh, you know, how are they 28th? They played a, a solid enough schedule. Um, you know, I mean, it, are they it, ahead or behind of East Tennessee State? That's a real question. That is that is the <laughs> real question. East Tennessee State plummeted down to 42 this week, and somehow they're still that's still in the in the at large range. But uh, I, that's that's the greatest mystery of all as East Tennessee State's RPI. I, mean, I had a reader email me this week and compare it to the, you know, the the Stonehenge and the Great Pyramids <laughs> and you know the great other great mysteries of the world. It just makes no sense. But uh, the, the popularity yeah. of, that, of Rebecca Black's Friday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. These are, these are the great mysteries of our age. Uh, the baseball RPI. I know Auburn, for example, has played a tough schedule, but 22 and 17 and 12th overall in the RPI. I mean, mm. I just don't get it. I, I'm not buying that one. Um, but yeah, Texas being that low, feels like they, at that 28, it feels like they don't even really have a, I knew they were lower than a and I didn't know they were that low. It seems like they don't even have a shot at a top eight national seed. And they have Oklahoma this weekend. Oklahoma's in the 20s as well. So the Big 12, Aaron, you, you put in the tracker. It'll be online today. Uh, Big 12 is starting to smell like a four-team league. Who's their fifth? Who's their best candidate for fifth? Because Baylor, I think we thought was going to be that team, and I will take the blame here. I was really thought the Baylor Bears are going to be pretty good this year. All evidence to the contrary. Just not doing the job. Uh, is there a... Who's the best candidate for a fifth team out of that league? Is it Kansas? 
No, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think so. Kansas is really a 500 team overall. Right, like Georgia, um, but uh, not as impressive as Georgia, I suppose. Exactly. They don't. I mean, in Kansas, uh, you know, they're 61st in the RPI, um, and they're a 500 team. I mean, they got a lot of work to do to, to be a regional team. I think uh, Kansas State maybe is in the mix. They're 33rd in the RPI. Um, they again needs to do some work. They're not a regional team right now. And then, uh, and then Baylor. I mean, you still have to talk about them as much as they've been disappointing. Um, you know, RPI needs report says they can go six and seven down the stretch and still finish in the top 45. If they can go nine and four down the stretch, they can finish in the top 32, and then I think they'd be pretty safe. Here's the big problem for K State. They've got a series coming up against New Orleans. That's going to kill their mm. RPI. Yeah, that's and that's that. You're right. That's exactly right. That's why the RPI needs report isn't as friendly for them. But Baylor's road isn't easy. I mean, they're on the road the next two weeks against Nebraska and Oklahoma State, and then they finish with Oklahoma at home. I mean, to lose a home series to Missouri, that's a killer for Baylor. That's yeah, that's a me, last that's place a team. To me, that's worse than just playing New Orleans. But playing New Orleans could kill K State's RPI. Yeah. And then you have, to me, I think K-State's got a shot. They've got to win this series this coming weekend at Oklahoma State. And the schedule for them is very difficult. They sweep Texas Tech this weekend. Well, that's a big series sweep. But then they're at Bakersfield and then at Oklahoma State. What did Dwight Yoakam set up their uh, schedule here? I mean, who does <laughs> that? Who goes to Bakersfield and Oklahoma in the same week? Unless, yeah. you're, like, unless you're like Tom Joe in the 1930s, Dust Bowl. Right. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. <laughs> who does this? I mean, but that is a great connection, Bakersfield to Oklahoma. I mean, a lot of maybe, historical ties there. Maybe they're, t- they're chasing the ghost of Tom Joe. They could be. Uh, they could be doing that. But, uh, you know, they've, they've got four games with Bakersfield in the next uh, week and a half. To me, if they can play those seven games, Bakersfield and Oklahoma State, and they can win that road series at Oklahoma State and win three out of four against Bakersfield, I think K-State would be in great shape because then they're yeah. Missouri and Kansas. Those are winnable series. And I, I you know, I know that, uh, you know, that really outside of Nick Martini, I don't know a whole lot about, about a whole lot about Kansas State's club. All I know is that Brad Hill this is an awesome job before he got to Kansas State at Central Missouri. He's done a great job at Kansas State making an irrelevant program relevant and that's the kind of that's this is the kind of program for me that's easy to root for. No um, doubt. You want to no see doubt. good things happen to a grinder kind of program like that. That uh, and also, of course, they have one of my all-time favorite uh, names, which I have to give you a Brian Strickland impersonation in Kayvon Baramzadeh. So exactly. Um, and also, I, I love John Sheff. I didn't even know John Sheff was the recruiting coordinator there. Uh, former, I believe, one of the many guys who used to be a head coach at Marist who are uh, coaching out there in, in college baseball. So, um, so that to me, that's the most likely team out of the big, uh, out of the big 12, but that's only if the committee can look past the fact that, Hey, the RPI is going to kill them for playing new Orleans. Um, you know, a team that uh, it's a column I've been trying to do this year, new Orleans and centenary dropping out of division one and just the uh, mess that's created for a lot of other teams. Uh, it's really an RPI hit. Aaron, yeah. uh, we should wrap up the podcast probably here, but uh, real quick, uh, let's touch on Conference USA. Uh, we brought Troy back into the t- uh, into the rankings. That's a Sun Belt, big Sun Belt sweep for them. Uh, they went and swept uh, Western Kentucky. Stetson with a big series win this weekend, beating Jacksonville. Uh, the Hatters look like the class of a very rugged, especially by its own standards, Atlantic Sun Conference. Right. Anything, anything you want to add out of those two series before I hop into Conference USA? Well, I think it's a, it's a big – I mean, they're both really big series wins. It was first place versus second place, and in both cases – uh, first place held serve, and you know I think for Stetson to go on the road uh, and and beat a, a very physical Jacksonville team, um, you know that's the thing is those two teams were constructed pretty differently. Um, Stetson's a pitching and defense team, and Jacksonville's a big offensive team um, and and a uh, very powerful team. And you know Stetson kept that offense in check, and 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 actually Stetson scored some runs. They took advantage of a really uh, depleted Jacksonville pitching staff. Um, but, uh, you know, to win that series on the road is huge. And then for Troy to sweep Western Kentucky, I, honestly, I thought Western Kentucky was going to win that series. I, that would have been my upset pick this past week. I like Western Kentucky's club quite a bit. Um, so for Troy to, to sweep for me is a major statement. Bring back the upset pick of the week. Bring it back. You don't have enough in weekend preview here, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling left out. Um, but it, it boggles my mind that Stetson, which has played a pretty good schedule, and that swept Georgia is behind Georgia in the RPI. I mean uh, – and they're 31 and nine, and Georgia's barely 500. But it boggles right. my mind. I mean, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, Conference USA, Aaron. We don't have. Uh, we had a long discussion, I should say, at the back of the rankings. Southern Miss has the highest RPI. They're for the best season. They're 15th in the rankings. 
um, and beating them <laughs> early in the year is the biggest reason that Troy has been in the rankings. So Troy loves that Southern Miss is doing well, uh, just like any, just like the Southern Miss fans do. But we wound up leaving Rice in at 25. Um, but that wasn't a, a choice. That was a hold your nose choice. We've had a lot of hold your nose cho- mm. hold your nose choices at the back of the rankings this year. But you know, where do you think Conference USA winds up in terms of placing teams in the in the in you know mm. in this week's stock report? Southern Miss and Rice look like they're – and I think East Carolina. Those three teams seem like they're locks for the NCAA tournament. Is it going to be a four-bid league, a five-bid league? Can Conference USA get five bids? It's it's a really interesting league because I think you've got really the top uh, seven, eight teams in this league I think are, are very competitive and have – you could make a case for any of them getting hot and getting into regionals. I mean I think they've got seven or eight teams that are regional contenders. Now – Realistically, you know, I think it's Southern Miss, Rice, East Carolina, and I, I think UCF. I, I do think UCF has done enough. Um, they're they're 26 now in the RPI. You know, they need to do a little bit more in the conference because they're six and nine, but they've got some nice midweek wins. They beat Florida, I think, twice now. I think you're right. Uh, they beat Stetson midweek. You know, they've uh, they, they've they've helped themselves a lot in the midweek, and and uh, you know that that matters. I mean, like you said, I mean, if you go two and zero against Florida, it's 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 the RPI doesn't know if it's on the weekend or, or midweek. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I think they got a chance to uh, winning that road series against Memphis this weekend was huge for UCF. Uh, to me right now, they're the fourth team. And after that, um, I don't know that there's going to be a fifth. I mean, I think UAB has put itself right back in the discussion this weekend with that, that huge um, double header sweep against, uh, against rice. I mean, but they're still 54th in the RPI. Um, if they can go nine and seven down the stretch, these reports says they could be back in that top 45, then maybe they're in uh, because they've got a couple of nice series wins, but you know, certainly getting swept by Memphis last week hurts them, set them right. back a little bit. Right. Uh, and, and Memphis, of course, lost series to UCF this week. And then there's Houston, which has kind of been a thorn in everybody's side, but probably not a regional team at about 500. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a very fascinating league. I think Tulane, we can probably write off now having lost a series against Utah. They're just, the injuries have hurt them too much. They're four and eight in the league. Um, I, I think if they had stayed healthy, they would have been a regional team and you know, we had them as a preseason top 25 team. Um, but, uh, w- with the injuries, I, th- I think they're, they're not in the discussion anymore. Yeah. I mean, a lot of private schools basically have less depth because it costs, you know, a lot of money and it's hard to get guys to come in there and walk on or be on partial scholarships. You know, uh, Tulane is one of those teams. Not many teams can withstand injuries to two of their weekend starters. Tulane is one of the teams that uh, can withstand that the least. Uh, Not making excuses. It's just the reality of it. But like you say, Houston has been a nice uh, thorn in people's sides this year. And to me, Conference USA, that rugged is the word that describes it. Because, you know, you go all the way down their, their list uh, two lanes in, in ninth place in that league, I guess it is, or wait, seventh place, eighth place. I don't know how many teams are in this league anymore, but uh, they're second to last in Conference eighth. USA, eighth place in a nine-team league, and uh, they're a good team. You know, they're a talented team. Um, you know, and Marshall is a grinder kind of club, and they're, I think they're a fairly well-coached team. Um, so that's not, there's just no pushovers in that league. So uh, you know, Marshall's the closest thing to a pushover in that league. And as you detailed last week, and uh, you know Memphis has, has had a nice year, and uh, I, you know, UAB's got two guys that are going to get drafted pretty good in their weekend rotation, and Napoleon and Woolley. So uh, UAB uh, plays host to UCF uh, three weeks from today, I guess it is, in the middle of May. That could be the you know if those teams play well leading up to that, that could be the series that decides uh, that last member. Although uh, with UCF having a road series at Florida State. That's really going to help their RPI. I mean, can you imagine yeah. what, how different would it be if they had a road series against New Orleans? <laughs> right, you right. know, uh, that had no shot. Uh, Aaron, anything else uh, for me for the, from from this week? Uh, are you headed out to any uh, ballparks this week at all in SoCal? I'm going to go see uh, Oregon State down here at UCLA. Uh, should be a really fun series. I hadn't actually seen Sam Gaviglio yet this year, so him against, uh, I imagine, Garrett Cole on Friday should be a really good one, and then Bauer, Osich, I imagine, on Saturday. Uh, should be a fun series. Well, another thing I can't believe I, I left it at the end of the podcast, but we do need to touch on this, is we sent you to Omaha this week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> for, for the opening of TD Ameritrade Stadium. You wrote a great article about it. It's free, so if you haven't already seen it on BaseballAmerica.com, what are you waiting for? But... Uh, uh, first of all, did you go to the Drover? No time for that. No, it's an in-and-out, just in-and-out trip here. It was an in-and-out trip, the old in-and-out-and-out. Uh, what do you have? What was your Give us your quick impression for the podcast listeners um, 
on the ballpark? And have you uh, got any feedback from people from the article you wrote about uh, about your article on the bar on the ballpark? People people seem to enjoy it, which which was uh, which was good. I mean, I, I felt like uh, I felt like the park. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very nice. It's it's very. Uh, impressive. You know, that's the word I kept using in, in my in my piece. Uh, it's impressive. You know, you look around and it's it's a state of the art 21st century ballpark. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it just it just doesn't have the character that Rosenblatt had, and that was to be expected. I mean, obviously, it's not going to have the character that Rosenblatt had. Rosenblatt was, you know, it was Fenway Park or Wrigley Field of college baseball. I mean, it was uh, uh, losing that is is hard to replace. And and you know, as far as the, the whole experience of it. Uh, it's hard to get a feel for that based on the first game, and it was really cold and windy. Uh, they didn't quite fill it up the way they hoped to. But, uh, you know, I think that you know, they also didn't have all their Fan Fest stuff outside the stadium that they'll have in, in June. Um, but, uh, I, you know, for me, it, it, raised some, it, it raised some emotions. You know, there was, it, was, uh, it was difficult to look around and, and not see the Desert Dome and the, the, the blue and red and yellow seats and all those things. And it's just... Uh, it was it was bittersweet is what it was. I was glad I was there, and, and it's time to turn the page, and we can't compare it to Rosenblatt. It's not fair to compare it to Rosenblatt anymore, but uh, it was bittersweet. It sure sounds like it, and I think I'll have the same experience when I go in June. I think a lot of college baseball fans are going to have that same feeling. It definitely seemed nice, you know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, the, 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 the different colored, the multicolored seats is an interesting idea that people banged about, I guess, Mark Etheridge. Uh, tweeted about that um, during the game on Tuesday night. You know, for me, that's kind of like uh, like when you see when you watch a Celtics game, Aaron. Does it com- does it comfort you at all that they have the parquet floor? Is that that big of a deal to you? Uh, that they kept the parquet floor when they left Boston Garden for uh, you know for TD Bank North Garden. Yeah, I suppose it's not really that big of a deal. Or like the you know the the facade at Yankee Stadium, they kept the facade. You know, for me, you know, that's cosmetic, and I think, you know, to me, the state, the new stadium has to do something that identifies it as the new park, that stamps it. When you're watching, when you were watching that game Tuesday night, you just didn't know, if you didn't know it was a new ballpark, you're just like, ah, oh, Creighton has a nice little on-campus ballpark. You know, when you're watching you know, when, it on TV, when they went bigger picture, obviously, you're like, wow, they're yeah. playing in a big stadium. But watching it on TV, which is really where most people are going to experience this ballpark, it wasn't distinctive in any way, shape, or form. And that's what they when, have to I, figure out. When I showed the pictures I took to my wife the other day, her first reaction was, oh, it looks like the Durham Bulls Park. That's right. <laughs> it looks like a nice yeah. AAA stadium. Obviously, it's bigger. Um, but that, that's really kind of what you're building. Um, obviously, they're building something. And the thing is, the whole reason they built the stadium was they have a show place just for college baseball. And it looked and – that, and that's the – you know, I remember having this discussion with Hal Baird uh, back when Auburn built their new park uh, at the time, Plainsman Park at whatever they call it, at whatever, at whoever's field, you know, whoever's field at whoever's park in Auburn. And, uh, you know, he really fought to make the ballparks. He wanted the seats to be green because I think that's what a baseball stadium should be, not for everything there to be blue and orange. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a baseball traditionalist view. And you definitely get different views from different, uh, you know, for different bar- ballparks you go to. Um, you know, I know at NC State the seats are all red. At North Carolina, the seats are not all Carolina blue. You know, right. and I had that discussion. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which I which I, you know, but I think the seats actually those kind of things do matter. Um, I tweeted and we discussed on on Twitter the other day about maybe there just needs to be some kind of big sign that says Omaha. You know, maybe behind home plate, Omaha, out in the outfield, Omaha. I loved the later. What I loved most about Rosenblatt Stadium is that Rosenblatt Stadium was not static. It was still Rosenblatt Stadium, but that stadium evolved so much in the 15 years that I've been going. Um, In the 20 years that Jim Callis has gone, he went before they built uh, the big facade on the outside of Rosenblatt and the very distinctive press box. You know, he'd been there before that was there, but that really became uh, as much a part of the identity. The Desert Dome was not there when I first started going, Aaron. So so, Rosenblatt kept, Evolving. This stadium's. This stadium looks like. Hey, they put a hundred and some million dollars in it. It's going to be this stadium for a while. Um, it seems like they went big picture. There's not a ton of uh, interesting detail in the new ballpark. So it's going to create its own memories. We've written about that. It's going to have to create its own memories. 
to rival Rosenblatt. It might take 60 years, you know, like right. it took Rosenblatt Stadium. But just in terms of design and the look of the stadium, they really didn't do anything distinctive unless I missed something. Did they, was there anything no, I mean, distinctive? You know, you, you look around and, and the lighting standards are a little bit unique with the, the kind of crisscross yes. X patterns. But you know what? That's just what Oregon did. You know, I right. mean, uh, you look at the seating bowl. It's got that curvature. Um, I've heard people compare that to Kauffman Stadium or, or the Oakland Coliseum, which is not really a favorable comparison. But I, I liked the curved seating bowl. I thought it because I kind of walked around and I thought it gave good sight lines down deep down the lines. Uh, but it also gives a lot of foul ground and, and makes fans feel maybe a little bit farther from the action. Um, no so, doubt about it. There's a lot of foul territory there, and you put that together with the new bats. That is going to be the lowest scoring College World Series we're going to have had in years. We're going to have Jim Rice yeah. coming to the press box, Aaron, to try to tell you just the last time that this few runs were scored in a College World Series, and all. That's going to be the story of Omaha right now. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's going to be the low scoring. It's going to be and, and it's. And it's also, you know, not up on a hill like Rosenblatt was. I don't think you're going to see the wind gusting out the way it sometimes did at Rosenblatt. I completely agree with you, and. uh you know, the best thing about the new ballpark is that it's new and the location is tremendous. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get verklempt here talking about old Rosenblatt Stadium. It's going to be really horrible to go to Omaha and not drive up that hill and not see that ballpark. And I love the new scoreboard they put up there a couple of years back. I love, that was the backdrop for me and you last year, my last day in a, at Rosenblatt. I wanted that scoreboard with the lettering, the Rosenblatt lettering. And the new ballpark needs that, and it, ne- it had a ridiculously cool scoreboard. But it doesn't say Omaha. It says TD Ameritrade. And, you know, we just talked about the fact that the Celtics play in TD Bank North, whatever. I mean, it's, you know, that's a big corporate thing, and they pay the money. They deserve to have their name on it. But something needs to say Omaha. When you look at that ballpark, it needs to scream Omaha in some way. And for me, it would be great if they just put the Drover logo behind home plate. You'd instantly know. But I don't think the the Drover's got that kind of cash. Neither does Zesto's. But if you had something – that is familiar to people, especially if you have like a Zesto's uh, pavilion in left field or something like that, that you knew was Omaha. Uh, maybe then, maybe the Woodman of the World building needs to be somewhere in there. Or, uh, Lee Barfnick's uh, popped collar needs to be somewhere <laughs> around there. <laughs> We're going inside joke here. But, I mean, th- there needs to be something that when you watch it on TV that says Omaha. Uh, don't, don't, or, do you agree or do you think that it's, it's not – that nice is going to be good enough in the – the memories well, of it'll it'll be good enough, field. but but it's I agree with you. I think it needs it needs more distinguishing characteristics, and and uh, you know what else? You know you talked about the price the price of, of advertising. I mean, who knows what that is? But I'll tell you what. One thing that, that I found a little bit of a turnoff is is the price of the uh, the club level seats at this place. I mean, it's you know from what I understand, it's seventeen hundred dollars for a, a for a club level seat for the entire College World Series, uh, and you have to pay it. You know, several years in advance and a huge deposit. I mean, it's, it's, it. This, this thing is going corporate. There's no, there's no other way to put it. I mean, it's yeah. really become a much different event than it used to be. Yeah, I think we wrote about that last year when we got that, uh, that brochure. Remember, we were talking about it in the press box with uh, Kirk Kenny. Um, that brochure made it sound like seventy hundred bucks for the whole thing was going to be corporate clients, and um, you know, that's part of what happens at the Final Four. Um, so a lot of people, you know, think that the NCAA tournament. Uh, is not as much the final four is not a lot of fun to go uh, to a final four because it's a bigger, more sterile uh, building than you're used to for college basketball. Well, that's what we're going to get. Uh, no one ever called Rosenblatt Stadium sterile. I heard that word tossed around quite a bit on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to, well, anything new yeah. is going to be sterile compared to Rosenblatt. You know, Rosenblatt, I compare it. <laughs> This is a very local comparison, but you know, when I went to North Carolina, Hector's was upstairs, not downstairs, and it had been in the same spot for a long time. And uh, the Puyuras family had the stay, had the restaurant for a long time. And you know, the joke used to be that, you know, if you had an older brother or sister who went to school there, that you were getting some of the grease from their meal in your meal. You know, it was grease that was handed down at Hector's, and they had a grease fire, big shock. I had to close it, and they reopened it, and it just wasn't the same because it was newer. It was almost too nice, you know, and uh, they were going to go for nice, but, you know, and, and it's going to be nice for the student athlete. It's going to be a better experience. But uh, for us, uh, who, for the people who go every year, that means the Omaha season ticket holders and college baseball diehards, a lot of LSU fans who buy season tickets, Texas fans who come back every year, that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be tough. I don't think anybody wants to hear the the media whine about it, 
but we're going to have to find some people, in, uh, Aaron, who go to Omaha every year, not just Omaha residents, people who go to Omaha every year for the College World Series and uh, get their experience this year. And I think they're going to, you know, yeah. I don't think Dennis Pope's going to like when he reads those things. This is the house that Pope built, yes. and it's going to be very uh, intriguing to see. Uh, I think we know how it's going to play, but we'll see how it plays with fans. And uh, the seven, the people paying $1,700 uh, per ticket are, for the most part, I think are not necessarily going to be people who went to Omaha every who went to who went to the Rosenblatt Stadium every year, right? You know, but uh, hey, it, it postscript, John. Uh, I don't think New Hector's made it. I think uh, I think they ended no, up closing. I know, the, <laughs> I know it closing it. So that, that, so that should have been the post. That, that, I'm glad you added the postscript. It did not make it. Uh, I think that uh, losing losing the 20 year old Greece was a big problem. So yeah. uh, uh, we'll see. I don't. Th- I don't. The new ballpark's going to close. I don't think there's gonna be any chance <laughs> the College World Series is going to move out of Omaha for 30 years. That's why they built the new ballpark. Um, that may have been a Faustian bargain, you know, to yeah. to keep it there. Uh, for me, uh, this year there's going to be a lot of gnashing of teeth. I just hope that the, that the NCAA listens and helps the city of Omaha tweak the ballpark after we play there. After we have a whole College World Series there and realize some of the things that are missing. I think Dennis Pope already knew some things were missing. He talked about the ball girls, and they don't even have a the, the gate behind home plate for the ball girls to come out of. They're going to have to figure that part out. Um, I'm sure there'll be some new traditions, um, but they better figure them out fast. Because uh, I, I, otherwise, I just don't think you want it to be a, 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 oh, here's another big NCAA event. You want the College World Series to remain the College World Series, and that's going to be a challenge in the new ballpark. So, Aaron, right. I'm really glad you went. Glad we sent you. Enjoy talking about it with you on this week's Baseball America College podcast. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. Until then, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.